The call on the ice stands. We got to go. Up the colors. We are set to go. Let's roll, boys. Come on, let's get going. We are kicking. Here we go. Oh, guys, five minutes each for fighting. Watch the blue. Play the puck. Run to it. After further review, it's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Yeah, baby. Here's your hosts, Todd Lewis and Josh Smith. Okay, gentlemen, play ball. Let's go. All right, guys, let's drop the puck. We are only a couple of weeks into the season, but I'm in a sense pleased that we're getting some unusual rules pop up that we're going to be able to discuss, Josh. It's, it's something that we don't see a lot in a few of the games already. No, it makes for some fun and exciting moments when you find out that the broadcasters don't know the rules and sometimes the players don't and (laughs) folks are accusing the officials of not knowing the rules on certain plays here. It's nuts. Blasphemers. This is the Scouting the Rest podcast. Please make sure you're following us on our social channels. To get Josh, it's at Scouting the Refs on both X and Instagram. For me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports on both X and Instagram. On this week's episode, a hearing, suspension, and appeal. Everybody skate. Which one's the ref? No bucket, no bueno. And when an instigator isn't an instigator, and for some reason, another former NHL official has agreed to visit with us. And I don't understand it, Josh. You must be a good salesperson. You know, I I think uh, they, they appreciate the positive vibes that we can put out there. Spread some good news. We've got some guys doing some amazing things, both for their organizations, for their respective countries, for the leagues that they support. And it's nice to uh, to shine the spotlight on them, especially when they're being honored as well. Absolutely. Our guest will be Brian Murphy in just a couple of minutes. You want to hang around for that. He has some good stories to tell. So major props to the Vancouver Giants of the Western Hockey League, Officials Appreciation Night. They hosted the Spokane Chiefs and they wore striped ref sweaters. It was fantastic. Of course, the officials had to alter their uniforms. They wore the old-fashioned beige sweaters and the refs, of course, had the armbands. I, I think this was wonderful. They did it to draw attention to the great job that they do and also draw attention to the fact that people need to be involved with officiating at all levels. Well done, everybody. Yeah, really cool job. I I think it was amazing for them. It was neat neat to see the throwback jerseys for the actual officials because obviously they couldn't wear stripes when the players were wearing the stripes. But man, it it hurt my brain a couple times, Todd, to see (laughs) officials skating in on a breakaway or a good passing play and a goal and then the the striped jerseys and the arms up. It was uh, a little bit mind-bending there, but a very, very cool night. And uh, nice to see them auction off the jerseys as well, both the the players' jerseys and the officials' jerseys auctioned off by the WHL's Giants. So a really cool night for everybody and nice to see them even have a pregame skate with BC officials there. So really, really cool and uh, always nice to see the the leagues or the teams recognize all the hard work that goes into being an official. Here, here. Uh, we also had this past week the much-discussed Frozen Frenzy where all 32 teams were playing on the same night. Doesn't happen very often. I think this was the second time. And I was texting you because I couldn't recall were all the officials working and you told me, no, there were some healthy scratches. There there were a few. It was funny because we've, we've got officials that they can put a full roster out there, but you got a few guys that got the night off. So it was nice to see guys like Chris Rooney, Dan O'Rourke, Graham Skilleter. They, they got to put their feet up a little bit and just watch the games on TV. I'm assuming uh, I, there's no way they weren't watching. It's a lot of hockey. It's a lot of fun. And even on your night off, I think you can't get too far from the game. No, no, you never do. I, I have one other question for you uh, before we get into some of the on ice stuff. I noticed that 
you, you put out the lineups every night for the officials that are working in the NHL. And I have noticed that you have changed from linesman to lines person. We've seen some others do this as well. And I, I understand that. But maybe we could use a little different terminology. I got thinking about this. I'm wondering if maybe we use line administrator or director of line operations, perhaps. No designation of male or female there. I feel like director of line operations is the person who oversees the lines person, which is perfectly fine. I think Brian Murphy would be an excellent director of lines operations, but I, I think it's uh, it's interesting to see as the leagues have changed their terminologies, we've adjusted to go with whatever the leagues go by. And some, depending on where they are, it might be lines person, it might be lines judge, it might be lines official. And it, sometimes in shorthand, you'll just see refs and lines for us to keep it concise. But I'm, I'm open to suggestions, Todd. I think there's plenty of ways to spin that or plenty of things that, that could be used in an alternative. But uh, yes, the NHL officially has change their designation to lines persons this year. Hey ref at scoutingtherefs.com is the email if you've got a suggestion that you'd like to uh, include. Okay, let's get to some of the on-ice activity. Uh, first involves the Calgary Flames, Columbus Blue Jackets, and the hit on Blue Jackets forward Patrick Laine, who was carrying the puck at the end of the game, and Calgary's Rasmus Anderson. Well, let's just say he took a run at him. Um, seems to elevate, seems to have the elbow up, is the head targeted. Of course, everyone comes together afterwards. Anderson gets a major uh, post-game talk of retribution. The next meeting of the two teams, the Department of Player Safety summons Anderson for the chat and is suspended for four games. The Flames appealed. The, the purpose of this was hopefully to get him to play in the Heritage Classic. The Commissioner Gary Bettman has provided a lengthy dissertation and said he gave no weight to such factors such as the Heritage Classic and upheld the four-game suspension. And I got no issues with this. This is a four-gamer for me. Yeah, I think it's the right call. I was actually uh, surprised pleasantly and uh, appreciative that player safety did put a four-game ban on it. It's one of those hits that's unnecessary. And they mentioned as such in their decision that based on the time of the game, I mean, there's no time left. This isn't going to affect the game one way or another other than injuring an opposing player. So he clearly left his feet. It was a high hit. Now, whether it was an illegal check to the head, which it may or may not have been, uh, the officials on ice called it elbowing. The league went with charging for leaving his feet and hitting high, and it was just unnecessary. So these types of plays where you're doing nothing but causing an injury unnecessarily, it's out of the actual game flow. And yes, Line A shooting at an empty net, but that doesn't mean it's he's fair game for that kind of a hit. And yes, the shooting motion put his head in a lower position, but I think that's why the league stuck with charging versus the illegal check to the head because Line A's body position did contribute there. I think it's the right call. I was glad to see four games. I'm hoping that player safety can keep that kind of a standard, keep the, the games a little on the high side to try to deter players from actually doing that going forward. And obviously four games hit a nerve for Anderson. So we always joke and say the fines aren't meaningful. Well, four games is both financially and because he misses the heritage classic. I agree. And I think the moment that Patrick Liney went on IR, that that suspension was going to be upheld. So all right. Um, we one of the unusual ones first. Um, Seattle and the Rangers playing at 
climate pledge arena. I don't know if uh, energy was the uh, topic of the night, but one <laughs> half of the ice didn't have the same amount of lighting as the other. It was a little dark. And so they, I, I don't know if they improvised the solution, but they had the team switch ends or plan to switch ends halfway through the period on the whistle. I think this was a smart idea. Well, you don't want to delay the game, right? You've got a full house. The teams are ready to go. The lights come up to start play and not all of the lights came up. I love that uh, New York Rangers goaltender Jonathan Quick made a joke that in Climate Pledge Arena, maybe they're just using energy sensitive or energy efficient bulbs. Yeah. And that's why it was dimmer. But no, good uh, good work uh, with the referees. Uh, it was Graham Skilleter and Chris Schlenker thinking on their feet and consulting with league's hockey operations there in Toronto of taking that approach of, you know, what's the best way to do it? And what they did is what we've seen in some of the winter classic games when you're outdoors, maybe the sun's shining, the ice is a little bit better on one side of the rink or the ice is in your eyes on one side of the rink. So they switch sides every 10 minutes wait for the the first whistle after the 10 minute point of the period switch ends and try to balance it out so it doesn't favor any one team over the other with with that uh, environmental disadvantage as it were so good of them to uh, work with the teams and actually get the game to happen I don't think it looked as bad on TV as it was in person. I talked to a couple of folks who were at the game and said it was a lot more noticeable there, especially at ice level. But I think the TV cameras did a lot to make it a little more smoothed out and not quite as drastic of a difference as it apparently was in 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 person. What's the phrase? We'll fix it in the edit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, who knew? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Seattle involved in another one with the Detroit Red Wings this time. And I think Seattle kind of got away with one, we'll say. Jaden Schwartz um, mysteriously had his stick disappear from his hands <laughs> as uh, Ole Mata was about to receive a, a beautiful saucer pass and go for the one-timer. But, oh, there goes my stick. Oh, there goes the puck. <laughs> and there was no call on the play. And there absolutely should have been. I'm not sure how this one wasn't a penalty. It is clearly a penalty. It's it's in the rule book. You're not allowed to do it. And he got away with one there because rule 53 covers throwing the stick. And when a member of the defending team throws any part of the stick or any other object at the puck carrier, it's a penalty shot. And they didn't call the penalty shot. They didn't call the penalty. So moments later, we see that the Kraken recover the puck. And next thing you know, they're scoring on a breakaway. And what was a 2-1 game with a penalty shot becomes a 3-1 game. So it was really a, an unfortunately missed call and one that came at what ended up being a pivotal part of the game. Yeah, certainly did. Now, they, that was not the only weird one in the game because, of course, Ben Sherratt was penalized for playing without a helmet. We have seen this once or twice. Um, a few seasons ago, the rule was changed in the National Hockey League. If you lose your helmet, you either have to leave the ice immediately or stop and put the, back at, the bucket back on, and Sherratt didn't either. He didn't. And he had an opportunity to. You can see that the referee is watching the play closely. He's keeping an eye on what's going on. And he's giving Chirot an opportunity to rejoin and finish the play because that's what the rulebook does allow him to do. Per rule 9.6, it's your helmet rule. He can get the helmet and put it back on his head or he can leave the ice after a reasonable period of time. So you are allowed to complete the play. And I think what really got Chirot in this and what the problem was is that he finished his play on the puck. The puck went into the corner and then he turned back to pursue it. And I can assure you that the official was chirping the whole time, letting him know that he has to get off the ice. He has to go for a change. He just persisted a little too long, tried to rejoin the play. And that's not reasonable by NHL standards. So not surprising that they blew the whistle there on Sherrod. 
Definitely not. Okay, Leafs and Capitals had a very interesting goal review and a goal overturn. Caps looked like they had scored on the power play in the first period of their game. However, the call was challenged by Sheldon Keefe. Took a timeout, took a little extra time to look at it. And after further review, you can see that Alex Ovechkin goes into the crease. Well, he doesn't stop there. He keeps going and goes into the net. He makes contact with Joseph Wall and... I don't know. It just does, does he prevent him from resetting and getting back in position? Everybody thought so, and it seemed like this was the right call for me. Yeah, I was surprised at some of the Caps fans that said, well, he, he crashed into him, but the goalie had plenty of time. Or once he was in the crease, he wasn't impacting the goalie's ability to stop the puck. I, I have to dispute both of those. I think you're running over the goalie. I don't know that he had enough time to reset. And even so, he's got Ovechkin right behind him in the blue paint, which is limiting the space he has to work with uh, Kelly Sutherland right on top there you can see him the net to make the call so he had a good bird's eye view of it and this is one of those situations where he's signaling for goal because the puck went in but one of those plays where I, I think it's a pretty obvious challenge and uh, to me seeing it in real time thinking this is going to be a no-brainer you, you can't as Alex Ovechkin did just drive into the net through everybody crash into the crossbar then lay in the crease and expect that you're not going to be found to be impeding the goaltender's ability to do his job that's the bull in the china shop rule, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know, it worked. The puck went in, but <laughs> unfortunately not legally. Okay, one other to deal with before we get to our guest, Brian Murphy. Sabres and Senators, uh, about three minutes or so left in the game. An Ottawa loss is looming. Brady Kachuk gets bumped by Alex Tuck of the Sabres. And as soon as he springs to his feet, Kachuk has the gloves off and is saying, all right, let's go. Tuck obliged him in this case. Uh, they both got majors. Uh, the Ottawa captain also got an instigator, minor, and misconduct. And what that means is if you start a fight and get the instigator in the last five minutes of the game, it is an automatic suspension for the following game, except when it isn't. Right, Josh? Right, which it is until it's not. And when the league says it's not, it's not. And that's basically what they said here. And I agree with the assessment. You saw some cheap shots back and forth between Kachuk and Tuck. Uh, to Kachuk, probably an illegal hit that deserves a penalty. He hits him up high, and it was interference. It, it was away from the puck. I would have called that one, or I could see them calling that one. Probably not rising to the, the need for supplemental discipline on it. But then Tuck gives him a bump afterwards. They drop the gloves and fight. This was two guys frustrated with each other, dropping the gloves, both willing combatants. And yes, it was late in the game, but this isn't a situation where Kachuk jumps him and throws the gloves off. This isn't something where it was more of a one-sided affair. And that's what the league's rule is about. They're really looking for those lopsided situations or times when you have, and I'll, I'll put the rule up with the final five minutes of regulation. You can skip the suspension if hockey ops thinks that it's not related to the score or previous incidents in the game or prior games or retaliatory in nature. So basically, this was a spontaneous moment. You had two guys out there that wanted to fight. They fought. And it wasn't something that was premeditated. It wasn't a coach putting a guy out there to send a message late in the game, those kinds of things. And uh, I think this is why that rule exists. And this is why the league has the option of rescinding the instigator. Now, whether or not it, it makes much difference. Of course, having him not be suspended and eligible to play on Thursday is a big deal because Kachuk will be in the lineup. But there's also a cumulative instigator issue where as players rack up instigators, you do hit three of them, you get an automatic one-game suspension. So that's the other component of it is uh, you know, that gets wiped out as well because you don't want to see a guy uh, unnecessarily pu punished for a situation where 
you really had two guys. They both wanted to fight. They were both frustrated with each other. This wasn't a situation where I think the instigator was necessarily warranted and certainly not the one game suspension. It was menacing, not instigator. <laughs> it was menacing. He was menacing. Kachuk is often menacing. Okay, let's get to our guest this week. He had a long career in the National Hockey League. Most of his career was spent as a linesman, but also one of the few in stripes that worked both the lines and also as a referee. A veteran of more than 2,000 NHL games, nine Stanley Cup finals, two World Cup of Hockey tournaments, the Vancouver Olympics, 2010 Winter Classic. Brian Murphy joins us, and in a few weeks... Brian is going to receive another honor as he is inducted into the United States Hockey Hall of Fame. Brian, congratulations. And tell me, first of all, what it was like getting that phone call and hearing that news. Well, thanks, Todd. I appreciate that introduction. It was very nice. Um, it, it's overwhelming. I mean, um, Pat Kelleher called me in, um, back in the middle of the summer. And, you know, it's not a call you expect. And, and you know, I I just done a camp for USA Hockey. So that's why I started talking to him about we were talking about the camp that I just run for them and some of that stuff and some of the logistics that were involved with uh, the camp and things like that. And um, next thing you know, he tells me I'm going to the US Hockey Hall of Fame. So um, not the call you're expecting, but uh, obviously uh, overwhelming uh, would be an understatement, especially I think when you you know, when you click on the website and see the people that have been inducted and the people that are being inducted with me, it's just like, it's tough to uh, grasp all. It's overwhelming because it's the only word that comes to my mind. Yeah, some uh, some big names in there with Dustin Brown, Brian Burke, Jamie Langenbrunner. And then, of course, you're joining some of the other notable officials in there, Kevin Collins, Paul Stewart, Bill Chadwick, of course. And nice to have your name up there. And what of all these things, you know, I guess, Brian, what do, what is it that, means the most to you about this with uh with this honor whether it's nhl career your longevity or, or the amount you've given back to the game because you really have done a lot in in all facets to help grow the game of hockey i think it, i think it was interesting i got this text all it was from uh, a guy that uh one of the referees that works for me in hockey east here which i'm doing now and uh his name's jeremy tufts and and tufts had sent me a text and he said he said you know, you've had two Hall of Fame careers. He said you had a Hall of Fame career on the ice, but he said you've had a Hall of Fame career off the ice too. And it was, it was, it was one of many texts that I got that you know were just overwhelmed, you know, appreciative of what they said, you know, the kind words that they had. And um, you know, I, I think it's, it's, you know, it's interesting. You know, people, you know, obviously look at the numbers in the NHL and the things that I did there, and you know, that's obviously a great career, but. I'm actually more proud of everything else I've done, uh, whether it was being president of the union for so long with the NHL officials to, you know, my involvement with USA Hockey and the things I've accomplished there. And and now my work with Hockey East and the officials there and the great officials in, in the league we have there. So, you know, I think I've, in, I've enjoyed uh, a, a lot of different aspects. And, um, you know, I think that... Um, you know, I don't think put my finger on any one thing, but to be honest with you, I think the things I've done away from the NHL are actually I'm more proud of than the things I actually did there. Brian, I think your story is a common thread with many officials in that they they want to get back to get back to the game and stay involved in the game. And you mentioned it with your work uh, off the ice and not just officiating is uh, work with USA Hockey to help uh, help those coming into the league. And as head of the uh, the officials union as well, tell us about some of the the things and concerns that you need to address in terms of getting the officials uh, the the tools that they need to do their job properly. 
Well, I mean, it, obviously, the the league has grown exponentially, even even in the four you know four years since I left. You know, it's crazy how things you know have evolved and how fast the league has grown. And you know, I was the you know the president of the union back from like you know '06 to you know '13, and you know, it's I think it was just a different era and a different time. And you know, we didn't even have a U.S. pension plan at the time. I mean, just to give you an example. So, I mean, it, it's things like that that I look back on that you know. I just know that, you know, there's a bunch of officials and, you know, we, our, our pension was underfunded. So it's things like that that I worked with, with the people that were on the board and, and the whole group that, you know, we got together and figured things out. And, you know, I think that um, the officials in the league are in a way better financial spot than they ever were. And that's how you want to leave things. You want to leave things better than when you got there. And I think that was the, the key thing there. And then, I think, you know, I, I get credit for the work I've done with USA Hockey, but to be honest with you, it's a bunch of people. It's not just me. It's, you know, every time I go to run a camp, you know, I have to get, you know, probably five, six, seven different people involved. And every time I text, email, call somebody, they never say no. So I think that's the, you know, I get credit for a lot of things, but it's not, um, it's not me. It's, you know, it's the other people that come and, and help and do the things. And it's USA Hockey who bought into some of the concepts we've tried to bring and, you know, try to develop their elite officials. And if you look at the world championships and some of the success we've had there, um, certainly on the men's side in recent years, I mean, I think it's something that, you know, started, you know, 12, 13 years ago when we went to them and said, Hey, we got to use our high level guys in these events. And now, you know, they're working the gold medal games. And I think that's, you know, those are the things that I'm probably most proud of as much as, you know, everything else. Yeah, it's great that you have all the experience to pull on and, and the respect around the league, around uh, USA Hockey to to tap into your background, how you came up, how you made it into the league, and then working in the NHL not only as a referee and a linesman, because I know during the, the two-ref era, you, you put the bands on for a while, ended up dropping them back off and going back to the lines. And, and what did you learn from that experience, Brian? What was it like to uh, to make the jump from lines to referee in the NHL and then to switch back? I, I, it was great. I mean, I don't regret that for one second. I mean, my numbers could be a lot higher. Um, probably would have worked a couple more Stanley Cups maybe, but, um, you know, it, it is what it is. Um, you know, I think that uh, I, I enjoyed that experience. I don't regret that for a second. I wish it had lasted longer. It didn't. Um, it is what it is. Um, but it was just, it was a great experience. It certainly bodes, helps me a lot with my new job with Hockey East and, and running their officials to, you know, have that experience. And, um, you know, listen, I mean, the whole, you know, your officiating career is just a journey. And, you know, everybody thinks it's like, you know, this straight line right up the, the track, but it's not. It's, you know, it's a roller coaster. And I tell, I tell this to officials all the time when I'm in officials camps, you know, like, you know, the difference between, you know, everybody's on a roller coaster all season long. You have good games, you have bad games, you know, things in between. But, you know, the, the difference between me and you is, is my roller coaster doesn't go as high as yours goes and my it doesn't go as low as yours goes. It's just, you know, I think that's the thing that I tried to bring to my career was just, you know, consistency, even keel, same performance every night, um, same routine all the time. Um, things like that, that, you know, bode well for, you know, performance. And I think that's the, some of the concepts that I try to teach the officials when I, when I do work with our high level officials in the U S here is, you know, some of those concepts, but to me, I mean, like, you know, everybody talks about like the physical aspect of being an official and certainly being an NHL official. But to me, the key part of, of being an NHL official is the mental part. 
And that's probably the biggest thing when I, you know, the high level USA hockey camp, the first day I tell them I'm going to teach them how to think. And that's the difference. And, you know, I think people don't recognize that, you know, it's one thing to be a great skater or anything like that, but you know, it, it's another thing to be able to think out there on the ice and, you know, have some concepts in your head about what you should be doing. So, Okay. So that's the nuts and bolts stuff that we've talked about. Let's go back and reminisce a little bit. And do you have a, a favorite building or buildings that you worked in? I know you're from the East coast. So of course there's some special games that, uh, the, the game at Fenway in the winter classic in 2010, is there a, a Stanley cup final that was particularly near and dear to your heart? Well, Fenway was special because my dad, my dad wasn't a hockey fan. He was a baseball fan. So the only sports that we went to uh, when I was a kid was the Boston Red Sox. So Fenway was special. And probably the other part that was special about Fenway was we, it was one of the early winter classics. It was one of the first ones where the family got to go skate the day before the game. And so that was probably better. That was probably more enjoyable than, uh, than the game itself. And I actually brought a couple of buddies to skate the day before. And I don't think they'll ever forget that. So, um, you know, it's the, it's, it's things, it's those memories there, but no, I mean, like, you know, listen, I loved working at Madison Square Garden. There's nothing like it. Um, but even all the original six, I think the best part of my career was, you know, in, in every city, I worked at least two buildings, if not three, you know. So, you know, I think that's the the part I always joke about, you know, like, you know, like Tampa Bay, like people don't even remember they played at the state fairgrounds their first year. Um, you know, I worked the first game in Vegas, which was just, an, you know, obviously everything that had gone on there with the shooting prior to that. But that was just an unbelievable experience. And, and that's a great, you know, I, I just loved working there towards the end of my career, which is great. I worked West Macaulay Southern game there. It was just, it was just a great weekend. Um, you know, but no, I, I love, I love them all. There isn't too many, there's a couple of things I didn't like, but uh, <laughs> I, I really actually loved them all. And I loved going around to different places. Uh, you know, I loved working in Calgary because I had some great friends out there. So, you know, it was just, it was, it was, you know, it's just so many places, even Cal, I love visiting California. I spent the last couple of years of my career, I spent Christmas in California. I'd, I'd work games out West during uh, the Christmas break because you know, my kids were older. They came out to California. We went on vacation out in California and, you know, gave people who had kids the time, more time to spend at home. So, um, you know, and I think, um, you know, I look back at some of the other things, the Vancouver Olympics was just unbelievable. Um, the World Cup in Toronto was the best because we were at one hotel for, you know, just it was unbelievable. I had a bunch of friends come in and they all went to the games and they have all great stories. And I think that's the, you know, to me, it wasn't about the job um, for me. It was about being able to share the job with other people and the memories my kids have and that some of my friends have of going to games. And, uh, you know, I had some friends that did show up everywhere, you know, and I think, you know, the, the probably one of the craziest one was the, uh, the 2017 final in Nashville when they, you know, that was on the, one of the first times where the league and the, the city actually, you know, like they basically shut down Broadway and it was just, a, it was unbelievable walking to the game. And I had done multiple finals prior to that, but there was the atmosphere there was just, it was just unbelievable. Now every city kind of does that, but it wasn't that way before. Yeah. I think uh, it, it seems like a lot has changed and a lot in the league has grown. Uh, and I think, with all your memories in there, Brian, I think it's interesting when you talk about going to the buildings and the players and the personal sides of things. There was recently an article in The Athletic about coach and official interactions. And I, I just love to ask through all of that and uh, any 
moments that stick out, any moments that matter that came up between you and a coach that really still resonate with you or, or either good, bad, or just uh, noteworthy moments there? Oh, yeah. I, tell, I love to tell this story because um, it was at Madison Square Garden one night and um, the Bruins were playing the um, the Rangers in the playoffs and Tortorella was coaching the Rangers and he didn't like one of the calls my partners made and he's yelling at my, this is like with five minutes to go in the game, game was like tied and you know, he's yelling at my partner and he's yelling and we're to like a, a, back then you could take a time out or whatever on the, on the break or whatever. And uh, he's yelling at my partner about this call that he made. And I, I, uh, I basically gave it to him and it was in a colorful way. The problem was, is Brian Englund was between the benches for NBC sports and he forgot to push the button to mute the thing. So unfortunately everybody got to hear it. Um, and it got over the airwaves and everything. And, um, I, I uh, so the period the game went to overtime, so the period ended, and Torrell comes on the ice and he called me over, and I didn't really want to go over, but I eventually did. And he's just go like, "We're good, right? We're good." I go, "Yeah, don't worry, I'm not mad at you." So he actually thought I was really mad at him, but and then I had known John Torrell like when I first started. John Torrell's assistant coach in Buffalo, which probably nobody would even remember, but um, that's how long he's been in the business. But um, you know, it um, it was interesting. I'm going after the game and. Um, now I had like 75 messages, which is a lot for me after a game. And uh, I could just tell from some of them, I go, oh, this isn't going to be good. <laughs> but uh, the next day, uh, you know, Terry Gregson was the boss. And the next day, Gregson called me and he goes, he goes, I got good news for you. I go, what that? He goes, he goes, the league's more mad at Brian England for not pushing the mute button than they are at you for what you said. So it's all good. <laughs> so, um you know, and that's, you know, but, um, you know, it's those things like, you know, and, and listen, I, I, I pride myself on getting along with the coaches. And I think I had the ability, you know, I had the unique ability just to go over and say, hey, we messed up. Or I'm, in most cases, I messed up and, you know, face offs over here and we're going to get the game going again. So don't worry about it. You know, and I think that the response from the coaches is it kind of diffused them. They were, you know, especially when I first started doing it because people weren't used to it. And they're like, Murph, nobody ever does that. And I'm like, What's the big deal? I made a mistake. And I think that's, you know, that's the type of interaction you have with coaches. And it's it's transferred over into my job now with Hockey East. I mean, we got 11 coaches in the league. And I got some pretty high-profile guys, guys that played in the NHL and, you know, some high-profile coaches, um, you know, that, you know, and and listen, I'm, I'm honest with them. I deal with them. And we have a great relationship. We don't always agree. And they're not always happy with the officiating. But, you know, we at least have a great relationship. And I think that's the – the key thing and that I think that officials don't know enough about is, you know, to have that emotional intelligence of, you know, what it's like to be behind the bench and what they're going through and put yourself in their shoes and, and how to deal with that and how to communicate with people is so, is so key and that, you know, it allows you to survive in, in life and uh, certainly in officiating. Yep. And, and I'll, I'll throw one more at you, Brian, because you, I think you, you nailed on one more thing I want to hit. We've got linesman Brandon Grillo making his NHL debut tonight. What's what's one tip you'd love to give him before he skates on NHL ice for the first time? Oh, just go out and have fun. You, you you work better. As I'm telling all my officials now, just go out and have fun because, you know, when you're relaxed, you're going to work better. Uh, Brandon Grillo came to a camp I ran last summer in, in Buffalo, New York for USA Hockey. Great kid, great skater. He's going to be a great official for them. Um, not surprised they hired him. Um, I think it's awesome. And um you know, just go out and have fun because when you're relaxed, you're going to work better and, and do it better. I think everybody gets all when you get 
all nerved up and everything, that's going to affect your performance. And uh, I try to show the officials that when they come to our camps. Brian, you clearly had fun in your career, and it was wonderful that you shared it with so many and brought so many friends and family into it. Enjoy it as well. Congratulations on uh, a great career on the on the new gig with Hockey East, and congratulations on being inducted into the United States Hockey Hall of Fame. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Good stuff, man. Way to work. Get in the box. It's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Read more at scoutingtherefs.com. Follow Scouting the Refs on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Email the show at ref at scoutingtherefs.com. Subscribe, share, and keep those sticks down. That's good play.